Amen. Amen. What about that? I, I, love, I love hearing Sarah read that. It's just one of our own uh, um, ladies from our church that got in there and read that for us as the, as the backdrop. And I, and I love hearing her say that. And I'm kind of used to it now. So it's almost like even when I'm reading Psalm 23 in my office, it's like I hear Sarah reading it in my head. And, and, it, and it just feels good. We are at the end of our um, sermon series called um, Psalm 23. We are the sheep. And uh, we've been diving into this, and we've been trying to make it a big part of your life. And I really hope and pray that in the midst of all this, you've had the chance to read this thing every day. You saw how, how long it took. It, it, it kind of took that long to read Psalm 23. And I, I kind of challenge you at the beginning, if this is a psalm that you can sit down and you can read kind of on a daily basis, and then just spend about five or ten minutes saying, Lord, what do you want me to know from this psalm? What can I learn from this psalm, Lord? And uh, I also promised you at the beginning of the sermon series that we were going to read this every Sunday morning. At, at the beginning of every sermon, we're going to read this. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and read this together, all right? We're going to go down through it. Sarah read it for us, but now we're going to read it together as a, as a unified body right here, okay? Let's read this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we've gathered together this morning, and we want to be in Your Word. And we've gathered together, Lord, because we want to be in Your presence. And we've gathered together, Lord, because it's been a great week, and, and we have been so aware of You moving so powerfully in our lives. And we gather, God, because it's been a rough week. It's been a tough week. And we're wondering where you are. Whether we're seated at a table, Lord, in the presence of our enemies, celebrating that God is our shepherd, or whether we're following you through the valley of the shadow of death and we're wondering, do you know what you're doing? we still recognize that you are God. We recognize that you alone are seated on the throne, that you don't need our help, that you are always interacting on our behalf, even when it hurts. And so we come together and we want to celebrate David's song, this psalm that we have set in eternity that you lead us through these things as our shepherd, and we do not have to fear dying, because all of our days will be with you. So we thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. David ends this thing by saying, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the days of my life? All the days of my life? How long do you expect to live? Well, that's, that's really a morbid question for a Sunday morning. 
went to the men's retreat, had a great time, came back, charged up to do great things for God, and then the first thing out of the, out of the box on Sunday morning, you say, how long do you, want to, or do you expect to live on this earth? Because as a people, we don't look at our lives in reference to how long we've got left. We just assume that we're going to live forever, and we will measure our lives in how much we've accomplished. When somebody comes up to us and we begin to describe ourselves, we describe ourselves, it's just base humanity, we describe ourselves by the things that we have actually been able to do. You know, I got married, I bought, uh, we had children, I bought a house, um, you know, we planted a church, and all these things we go down through. I learned falconry, I, I'm, I'm a watercolor artist, and, and we, we, we express our lives in the things that have happened in the past. But David is looking forward and he's saying that, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me and that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so I wanted to begin today by just simply saying, how long do you expect to live on this earth? 70 years if you're a good man, 75 if you're a righteous person, 80 if the Lord blesses you. Some of you are like, well, my meemaw, she's like 104 and I, I think I'd, I'm just going to tell I don't want to live to be 104. None of my friends will probably be around when I'm 104. It will be just my family, and I will feel like a burden to them. And it's like, man, take me home, Lord. But let's just pretend that you're going to live, say, 82 years. So look at your life right now and determine how many years do you have left. I'm 58 years old, so in two and I'm 60. So 23, I've got 25 years left. In 25 years, what do I anticipate doing on this planet? In 25 years, when I walk into the presence of God, do I want to say that I saved up enough money? Do I want to say, Lord, I, I, I did this, that, or the other thing? I, I'm not even going to walk in there and say, well, Lord, I planted that church you asked me to. But what do I want to lay hold of when I walk into the presence of Jesus and have to give an account for my days? Because I've got 25 years left to do this thing. 58 years old and the first 20 don't count, right? Because the first 20, you're learning how to put your britches on. The first 20, you're trying to figure out how to stick that spoon actually in your mouth. You know what I mean? The first 20, they're trying to teach you ABCs. The first 20, you're not even get, getting your grammar correctly. And some of you haven't gotten past that on Facebook either. Okay, but you know, um, go back to start. And I know some of you are like, well, Pastor Joe, I read your post the other day. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you. But those first 20 years don't count. So, all right, if 20 don't count, I'm 58. I spent 38 years on this earth. I am well past the 50% mark. And I've got 25 years left. What do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? What is God inviting me into? I, it's not over for me yet. I'm only 58 years old. Man, I've got things to do. What do I want to see? What do I want to accomplish? What would I like to enjoy for just a change? Because those of you that have attended this church long enough know that, man, I believe that we as Christian people should be having fun on this planet. 
I believe that we should be interacting with God and we should be defining, describing, and determining the fun that is in our lives instead of focusing on the failures and the depression and the glass half empty of our lives. But God has got to, as the psalmist says right here in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's why I ask you how many days you've got left. Because we need to be reminded every once in a while that, you know what, in, in not too long we're going to see God. Not too long we're going to be in His office. Not too long we're going to sit down. Not too long and He's going to start looking at the report card. And I'm not saying are you in or are you out. What I'm saying is the blood of Jesus Christ paid the, for the, the atonement for my sin. I'm in. But that does not mean he's not going to ask me about the things that I said that I didn't think anybody heard, that the things that I did that I didn't think anybody saw. <laughs> I also think he's going to say, do you remember that time? And I'm going to say, sure. And he's going, man, I had some things planned for you. I was taking you places and you got scared. And then you went back over here and sat down. And I'm going to say, Lord, what did I miss out on? He's like, there's no tears in heaven, so I can't show it to you. You know, because I'll cry and I'll see what I missed out on. We should ask the Lord to teach us with the psalmist to number our days aright. When we think about this, do you understand that you were not created to die? Do you know that originally? Do you know that people were not created to die? I'm not sure if you've ever focused on that a little bit, but Adam and Eve were created with bodies that were going to live forever. Two trees in the garden specifically. One, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two, the tree of life. They had all the permission in the world to eat from the tree of life. Just eat, nom, 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 eat, 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 eat. Not, no problem, okay? The leaves are for the healing of the nations. It bears fruit 12 months out of the year. The tree of life is in the Garden of Eden, and they had all the permission in the world to eat from that tree. They were created to live forever. See? And when we look at this, we've got to stop and say, but what happened? You and I were not created for hell. I don't know if you know that or not. Hell, the scripture will, will tell you, and the scripture really doesn't, but somebody wrote in the scripture, anyway, it's a semantics, but the scripture will tell you that hell was created for the devil and his unholy angels. It was not created for people. It was already created, I believe, before we were created. It was already there. Adam and Eve, however, chose to ignore God and do things their own way. That's called rebellion. That's what that's called. When we choose to do things our way instead of God's way, that's rebellion. They ate fruit from a tree that they were specifically told not to eat from. It's not their fruit. That's called, you know what that's called? Stealing. <laughs> they ate God's fruit. That's God's fruit. That's his. Don't touch it. Don't eat it. Leave it alone. That, that, you can eat from this tree and live forever. Why they didn't eat from this tree first is beyond me. Okay, But they ate from this tree that they were told not to eat from. That's rebellion. They took fruit that did not belong to them. They are stealing from God. And then they hid from God as he came to love on them. You ever just think about that? 
Adam and Eve walking with God in bodies that were never going to die. They can eat the tree from the tree of life. Life is going to be good. God shows up in the cool of the evening. Hey, how'd your day go? What'd you do? I don't know. We saw this big fat thing that was swimming in the water. We called it a hippopotamus. All right, then we'll call it a hippopotamus. That's what you want us to call it. Well, you ever had a child do that? That's a fluke to my heimgang. And you're like, okay, that's what that is then. Okay. And I see God doing the same thing with his children because he loves us. He came in the garden to love on Adam and Eve, to be in their presence, to sit with them, to talk with them. And they were hiding. You know what that's called? Guilt and shame. See? So we went from sinning against God, rebellion is sin against God, all of this, okay? And then we went from that to stealing from God. Then we went that to sin and shame or guilt and shame, which is a conviction inside of us that says, we know we did wrong. And it's all evidence that left to ourselves, we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. And even as God came into the Garden of Eden and said, hey, here's the deal. We've got to throw you out of the garden. You can't, you can't hang out in here if you're going to be rebellious and sinful. And now that you've got this sin inside of you, um, you know, the Scripture says that God said they have to leave the, the Garden of Eden. And then they had to set an angel with a flaming sword at the gate. So evidently the garden had a gate. It was a garden gate and, and so that they could not come back in because God said, if we don't guard that gate, these sinners will come in and eat from the tree of life. And there cannot be sin in heaven, so they cannot eat from the tree of life and become eternal sinners. See? So instead, God had to put us out. And we're a people wandering around in the wilderness in need of a shepherd. And David writes this psalm. He writes Psalm 23. This guy, I mean, he knows God. He plays the guitar. It's a, it's a liar, and it goes this way. But just he plays the guitar, and I, I assume in my mind he carries it with him when he goes out on the hill, and he's counted all his sheep out, and they're all out there, and he sees his sub um, shepherds underneath of him that are watching the sheep too because they've got a you know big management thing going on, and and so then he's up on the hill and he's just playing music to God, but he's a shepherd, and so he writes a song about being a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not be in want. And he sings this to God, and he writes it down, and it's eternal. David was the son of Jesse. David was a shepherd. He didn't have any big fancy title, no big fancy job, no fancy card to hand out you know, to people as he went to town. He was ruddy. That means full of color, like reddish. Okay? He was good-looking, the Scripture says. He was the youngest brother. That means he was pushed around and beat up a little bit. You know, you know, are you youngest brothers in here? You know, I don't know. Some of you will remember a movie called Billy Jack. You know how us older brothers treat younger brothers. There's a scene in the movie where Billy Jack says to this guy that's picking on somebody else, I'm going to put this foot right upside of your head right there. And this guy says, go ahead. And Billy Jack just bends over and whack, kicks him right in the head. Yeah. I got in trouble for that at home. When I told my little brother, I'm going to put this foot right upside of your head. And he said, try it. And when he hit the floor, I hit the floor, and the belt hit my tuchus, and, you know, everything went south from there. It was awful. David killed a bear and a lion. 
David killed a nine-foot man that everybody else was afraid of. David was an accomplished musician and songwriter. David was in the king's service to calm the king's spirit with the songs that he wrote. David was anointed king while Saul was still the king because God said, Saul's not doing a good job as the king, so I'm going to take my spirit, and you're going to be the king, David. David was the object of Saul's spear twice, literally, at Thanksgiving. Whack! And it hits the wall behind you. It's a good time to leave. Good time to leave and go home. Twice. Oh, by the way, that was his father-in-law. Okay? My father-in-law didn't hate me that bad. David led an army on behalf of Saul and the people of Israel. He became more loved than Saul. David finally became king, and he was a great king. David was indescribably, incredibly successful as a king and a priest and a prophet. He was amazing. David was an adulterer. David was an absentee father. David had kids that were messed up psychosexually. One raped the other one, and it, just, it was just awful. David had a son that became his enemy and ran him out of town. David was on the run because of his kingship that his son wanted. And then David still says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is that guy. He numbers his days aright. But he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Wow. I'm looking at this thing, and I'm, I see David lay out these two things. The goodness and the mercy will follow me. Goodness is simply the quality of being good in particular. The things that are going to follow me have a quality that they're going to be good, and it's going to be awesome. And he says, and mercy. And you know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Okay? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Judgment is getting exactly what you deserve. But mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. And that's just David again saying, you know, as far as my, the, my sin, excuse me, as far as the east is from the west, so far as the Lord cast my sins from me. Um, God, you will not uh, treat me the way that my sin dictates. Don't do that, Lord, because you're a good God. And he says that this goodness and this mercy is following him. And I'm thinking, wow, you are one messed up dude. How can you be saying that? Like I said, we know from the scripture that David's life was not all sunshine and roses. That his, his son did rape his half-sister. That David's other son tried to kill him and take his kingship. David's father-in-law tried to kill him just because he was jealous. And yet David still says, goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. And I think, how can David say that? And I think because of this. I think because of attitude. David picked an attitude. Did you hear me say that? David picked an attitude. David wasn't born with an attitude. David um, didn't wait for an attitude to come upon him. David picked his attitude. And so many people today are going through life and they're just like, oh, this is just who I am. You might as well just get used to it. <laughs> Seriously. But when people come into Jesus, we say, now, the Lord wants to change you. But he doesn't want to change me. No, the Lord wants to constantly change us. 
attitude. Attitude is a settled, and I like this, um, it's, it's not going to show up here this way, but this is the, it, when you look it up online, it says attitude. You know, because it gives you that phonetic way to spell it, you know, that we, when we see it, when we see it, it, it it's, it's like, oh, you know, Americans, English is, is some of the dumbest language in the world. It just really is. Through, through, and through, and through, and, you know, it's like, man, it's got to be confusing even, even to like, uh, you know, people from, anyway. But I love the way it spells it out. It's attitude with a Y in there in little, you know, um, parentheses. It's attitude. Do you have a good attitude? You know? Some of you, your grandma said, you better change your attitude. You know, she was saying it right. We've just cut it short. Attitude. You know, two, T-U-D, tude. You know, it's attitude. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Typically, one that is reflected in a behavior. That's how your grandma knew you had a bad attitude, because of what you did. If you could keep your attitude off your face, if you could keep your attitude out of your actions, nobody would ever know you had a bad attitude. But you can't. It just comes out to your face, you know. You roll your eyes back at me one more time, and I'm going to knock that attitude into tomorrow. You know, some of your parents say, you better pick a new attitude right now because you're about to lose the one you got. See? So you know, attitude is everything. And for David, he chose to look at his glass as half full. David went through life saying, look what the Lord has done for me. Look what the Lord is doing for me. Look what the Lord is doing in me. Look what the Lord is doing through me. He didn't sit around saying, Lord, I'm waiting. Lord, when me? How come I can't have this? Lord, you let them. Can you just imagine David saying, look at King Saul, Lord. He's got it all. You anointed me king. And, and when are you going to get rid of that guy? It was years till King Saul finally got out of, off the throne so David could have it. Years. He had a good attitude. His life was half full, not half empty. Attitude. Everybody has one, and it is totally under your control, so you might as well pick a good one. Isn't that crazy? Your attitude is totally in your control. Your grandmother proves it to you. I just told you that. Your grandmother says, your mama says, your daddy says, whatever it is, say, you better pick a new attitude because that one's not cutting it today. Right? Somebody sang a song about a new attitude. I'm getting a new attitude. See? Everybody knows that you can pick your attitude except for us when we have an attitude. And there's have an attitude and there's have an attitude, right? But we know that we can pick our attitudes. As a matter of fact, Paul says to the church in Philippi, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That's what he's saying. And so Paul is saying your attitude should be the same as that as Jesus. You should be a servant to the people around you. You should be a servant to your wife. You should be a servant to your husband. You should be a servant to your kids. You should be a servant to your boss. You should be a servant to your employees. You should be a servant to the people in the line at Walmart. You should be the servant. Should not be waiting for somebody else to do it. You should not be calling somebody else to do it. You should be doing it. You should be the servant, Paul says. Pick an attitude that says, let me serve you. 
Jesus proved it by washing Peter's feet. Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. Peter said, uh, Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, then you don't have any part with me. Peter says, well, then you're not going to wash my feet. I want you to have every part with me, and I want to have every part with you. You're going to have wash all of me, Jesus. I'm just telling you, that's creepy. I had a motorcycle accident one time. This, this arm was broken in half and cracked three more times. That thumb was broke clear in half, and I was just like this in cast, and I had to do this. But for the three days that I was in the hospital, a male orderly came in and said, Now, listen, buddy, I'm a professional. This is just how it has to be. I have to give you a bath. You can't stay here in the hospital for three days without a bath. Clearly, I'm incapacitated. I said, You're a professional. Do your job. We'll get through this thing. It'll be all right. Okay? That was the most difficult, embarrassing oh, thing for me in my whole life. You know? And then here's Peter saying, then wash me all, Jesus. Just wash me all. And Jesus says, Peter, you had a bath. I just need to wash your feet. Because I need to make a point that I'm here to serve you. I'm not here to be served. When Paul uses the words, your attitude should be, he's saying that you have complete control of it. It's yours. It doesn't matter what happened in your life, you are in charge. There's no place for you to say, this is just who I am, so you might as well accept it. If that's the case, then who needs to change? If that's the case, then what are you going to say to your child? Because where did your child get their attitude? <laughs> Probably, actually, not from you. I can see already some of you are like, that child got it from you. We know where this child got that attitude. You know, they got it from you probably if you're saying that. But the point being, circumstances. So many times we get our attitude from our circumstances and what we believe about our circumstances. And we let our circumstances dictate our attitude. And that's why we came in here dragging a sucky attitude. Oh, man, it's Sunday. I'm going to go to church. Man, i got a paper due tomorrow. Man, I haven't even started on it yet. I've known about it for three months. But man, how come, it, how come a teacher does this to us? Oh, man. Yeah. And you got a sucky attitude, dude. <laughs> Let go of it. You get to go to college. Wow. You get to go to college. That's David's attitude. Wow, I get to go to college. I got a paper due. I better get my took us in gear. Understand this. It's totally in your control, so you might as well pick a good one and... Circumstances will command your attitude or you will determine your attitude. Your circumstances will do that to you. What happens when life isn't all sunshine and roses? What happens when it's not just coming up, you know, poppies and daisies? What happens when we're not living at, at uh, Disneyland and eating candy canes all day long? Can a person find joy in the midst of diverse, uh, adversity? Excuse me. Can a person find joy in the midst of adversity? Went on a mission trip one time to a little place called Guatemala. Went up on a big mountain. And up on this big mountain were these people that were living in abject poverty. And we're marching up the mountain, and there's a path about, from me to the edge of the stage. And I'm staying over to this side because the sewer and all these houses going up the side of this hill, the, the pipe comes out and goes right down the middle of this path that everybody's walking on and everybody's playing on, and the chickens are running up and down on it. Chickens, forgive me, but are, are eating whatever they can find out of the middle of that sewer stream. They just are. It's coming right out of the, you know, the outhouses on this thing. And the little children are running up and down this hill, kicking a ball, laughing and having the best time of their life. And life is good. 
My wife and I went to Mexico one time to La Colonial. And we went to La Colonial and there's like 15,000 acres of people living right across the border from the United States and they're living in corrugated metal and they're so excited and they're out there playing soccer and they're having fun and man you just want to stand there and say man don't you people know how bad you have it they don't care about you they have a good attitude they're having fun my wife went out there and played soccer with them one time we played ball with them with a, a duct tape ball they were ecstatic that we were able to create the people that were there to do construction were able to make a duct tape ball it was amazing to them they weren't looking up the ladder at what they didn't have they were looking around at who was with them and they chose their attitude what is it that you're thankful for today when you walked in here what is it because as we look at this today I'm just incredibly aware that David lays out these two thoughts, and the first one is, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Excuse me. Uh, good, yeah, goodness and mercy will follow me. And it's because of his attitude. Man, bad things happen to good people. But they're things that happen. They're not your identity. They're things that happen. You, you have to go through them. You're going to get through them. Man, I, you know, People are, are really trashing this concept, and I know it's a paraphrase of a scripture, but the point is, God is not going to give you more than you can handle. You say, yes, he has already given me more than I can handle. Hold your hand up for just a split second and look at it. Okay, this is your hand, it's on the end of your arm. Bend your elbow part, that, and look, you see that hand right there? And you're saying, God will not give you more than, he's given me more than I can handle, Joe. No, you're not, because your hand has followed you to church, and you're sitting in church, so clearly you have handled it. You can put your hand down now. Am I right? I mean, seriously, am I right? You say, yes, but man, I was 10 years in prison, and that was more than I can handle. No, it wasn't, because you got through it. You did it. You lived. You went through the valley of the shadow of death. You changed your attitude. You persevered. But if you're going to go through life with a sucky attitude, then you're only ever going to feel like that's the kind of life you've got. If you can't go through life being thankful, because surely goodness and mercy will continue to follow me. Bad things happened to me as a kid. I did bad things. As a kid. That's not who I am. It's what I did. The Lord has done amazing things in my life. I posted a picture the other day because I totally forgot. Small group. Because it's just been too many days without a day off. And I took my wife out to dinner. And we had a good time. I took a picture and I posted it. And I just posted, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Because my glass is half full. I've worked my behind off for it. The Lord has been good to me in the midst of it. But what I'm surprised with is how many people clicked on it. And I can't tell you what it does or doesn't say about these people. It's just the idea that we would like that goodness and mercy 
And if you will look at what you do have instead of what you don't have, if you will plug into your kids, plug into your spouse, plug into your marriage, plug into your job, I'm not going to say you're never going to have a problem. What I'm going to say is that if you're in the midst of a situation where something's going difficult, there is some place to be thankful and say, God, but at least this. And write your psalm, six verses, I think Pastor Janice told you to write last week. Write your six verses about all the garbage that God's brought you through and then end it with but did you see this i took her out to dinner surely goodness and mercy is following me because i i have what it takes to take her out to dinner and then the wrap up here is and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever will you dwell in the house of the lord forever i mean seriously will you dwell in the house of the lord forever is, is that your goal is that your plan do you understand that there really is a real heaven a real one it's not pie in the sky. It's not some imaginary place. It's not, you know, the magic kingdom down in Florida or over in California. It's not a, 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 an eternal situation of good things. It's not. It's actually a geographical location in, in, in a different understanding of time and space. And I'm not trying to get all weird on you. I'm just saying it's a spiritual realm that we will actually exist in with God Almighty. And it's not like, oh, we'll have gold, we'll have gold. No, the point of that scripture is the streets are gold because the gold doesn't mean anything up there. It's just metal. It's just dirt. It's, it's some kind of rock that we can grasp where God will say the things that you value here are commonplace and normal. And so it doesn't mean a thing. You will be so glad to be there. And Jesus says that in my Father's house are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David in chapter, uh, Psalm 24 said, Who may ascend to the hill of the, uh, the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand, stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure, pure meaning focused, not without sin, but a focused heart. A, a person who's got clean hands, who's walking with God, but who is focused on the kingdom of God, who does not trust in idols or swear by a false god. They will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior, such as the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Are you going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? I am because Jesus Christ died on a cross for me to cleanse me from the sins of my life, but not to free me up to continue to live in open moral failure, to continue to chase greed, to continue to believe that it's okay for me to lie and cheat and steal and lust and whatever else it might be. I can't mix uh, astrology and Christianity. I can't mix uh, Islam and Christianity. I can't mix um, um, uh, God, give me a Hinduism and Christianity, it's in Christ and Christ alone that I have entrance into the place that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the book of Acts chapter 16, Paul is locked up in a prison. It's midnight. He's been there a long time already. There's an earthquake. Doors open up. Nobody escapes. Paul tells everybody to sit down and be quiet. And the jailer comes and he brings him out he brings Paul and Silas out, and he says, the jailer says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a question on everybody's heart. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe. And then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who are in his house. And they took them that same hour, that night, 
the jailer did, washed their stripes because they'd been beaten, and then immediately the jailer and his family were baptized. Paul tells the church in Rome that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart you believe under righteousness. You believe to action. You believe into motivation. Okay? We have been called to work out our faith, but not to earn our place in the family. With the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Confess means to express that you believe that God, what God says about you is true, and that what you believe about Jesus came to pass, that he lived, that he died, that God raised him from the dead, and that he is alive today. So we confess with our mouth, but to believe in our heart means that we change the actions of our everyday life. What are the actions of your everyday life that suggest that you don't respect Jesus and what he did for you? Is it the way you treat your spouse? Is it the way you treat your dog? Is it the way you treat the people on the road? These are all convictions for me. Is it the way you handle your money? Is it the way you handle your things? Is it the way you handle the kingdom of God that's put in your care? Do you share it with people that you work with, go to school with, live with? Because to confess with your mouth is to say it, but to believe in your heart is to do it. And that's what we've been called to say. So today at the end of this whole message, this whole series, this whole God is my shepherd, at the end of this, can you say, Surely goodness and mercy follow me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is the Lord God your shepherd? Do you see your glass as half full? Have you picked an attitude that said, I feel, I love, I embrace your grace and your mercy? Or do we still walk around complaining that God hasn't done this in my life yet? He hasn't done this in my life yet. Well, you're still here, and he's not done with you. Give him a chance. Let him work it out. What do you have that you have to be thankful for? We are going into our Thanksgiving outreach next week. The Thursday after that, you're probably going to celebrate somewhere. So what are you thankful for now? Why do we have to wait till then? Why can't we live in thanksgiving why can't we do that so that all the days of my life i will dwell in his house is that you this morning i want to pray for your attitude i really should have had the worship team do a new attitude should have but i want to pray for your attitude these people are up here to pray for your attitude Today, I want to pray for you because it is time for you to surrender your life to the shepherd. It's not time for you to accept him as your shepherd. It's time for you to stop fighting against what he's doing in your life and bring your life up here metaphorically and lay it down at the foot of the cross. Say, Jesus, I keep doing it my way. And it keeps failing. Today is about you interacting with a great shepherd because he loves you and all that stuff that David wrote about him it's for you 
So let's come to our feet. We're going to sing this song. And these people are up here to pray for you. And I just invite you to come up here. They will lead you in prayer for attitude. They will lead you in prayer for healing. But they will lead you in a prayer of surrender to Jesus if that's your wish today.